This is Up for Debate Presents. The X stands for nothing, the unbelievably true story of the XFL. Tonight, episode number 127, recorded October 24th, 2018. Chapter 1, The Titans of Television. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL! Hello, everybody. Welcome to this extra special edition of Up for Debate. I'm Sean Jennings, joined by our commissioner of football, Mr. Matt Mariani. Hello, Matt. Hey, Sean Jennings, are you ready for some football? I have no way, Jose. I've never been more ready. <laughs> uh, I am I am psyched up, and Matt, we have got a real treat. I love when we try new things on the show. It's one of my favorite things. and we We have a lot of established what I would call formats that we do, that our fans love. We famously, we do have our brackets, this or that, our Super Bowl prop bets, the movie league. Um, And we are introducing a brand new one that I am certain is going to become a hallmark franchise for this show. We call it Up for Debate Presents. Now, Matt, this was more or less your idea. You get all kinds of good credit for that. Um, Please explain why. Why are we doing Up for Debate Presents? What is this? Gosh, let me just say before I get in, the more that you were uh, presenting this idea, the more I was thinking about the parallels between uh, what we do here on the show and uh, a, a gentleman that we're going to be talking about in great length tonight, Mr. Vince McMahon. Um, and, and I mean that just in the way that, like, you know, we we come up with all these crazy ass gimmicks and and. Uh, and uh, ways to hook in viewers and, and things like that. And and that's really what, what he was all about, too, and still is today. There's a reason he's successful. Um, indeed. Uh, well, all right. So what, what, I, what I had in mind a little bit was I wanted to explore some kind of topic a little bit more in depth. Now, what we no- our normal kind of format on the show, with, with some exceptions, uh, is to just kind of talk about one topic at length for for however long we ramble on for uh, in a typical episode. And I was thinking, what if we, you know, instead of doing that, what if we chose one topic and and really looked at every perspective of it for in, in a lengthy kind of miniseries style episode? Um. Originally, I thought maybe we could do some kind of spinoff podcast with this, uh, but uh, at the end, I mean, we're going to try it this way. We're gonna we're gonna roll with it. We're gonna kind of attach it to our to our podcast for this time, and uh, we'll see how it works. Well, you got to uh, remember, I'm Matt. Looking forward to it. We've already spun off one successful podcast off of this one show. Very successful. That's podcast. right. So we are a launching pad. We, you and I, are going to stay here on the launching pad. We're not going anywhere. But the stuff we launch from here to the stratosphere. Absolutely. And I think Up for Debate Presents is is that gold standard that we will set for ourselves. And I love, I, I'm with you, Matt. I love the idea that we just get really in-depth and we spend a lot of time on a given topic and really educate and inform and, and tell a story, which is what I'm very excited about. We are planning roughly six parts to this series Uh 
going forward. This is the first, uh, and I think we've got some great stuff ahead. You're not going to want to miss a single second of it. Matt, what is the topic for the very first Up for Debate Presents? Well, Sean, I, 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 uh, I'm proud to announce that we will be discussing the XFL. The what? Well, you've heard of the NFL, right? I believe so. Well, so there was this league in the early 2000s that was called the XFL. I was formed by none other than a gentleman we mentioned before, Mr. Vince McMahon, uh, who is the CEO of uh, the World Wrestling Federation, right? Well, at the time, yes. Now the World Wrestling Entertainment. Well, now, yeah, now WWE. Uh, and, uh, so he, 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 he decided to partner his wrestling franchise together with a, uh, with a football franchise. Um, it would, it would, the, the nature of which would be that it was, um, played with different rules than the NFL, slight, slight variation of the rules, mainly used to make it more, uh, to make it more extreme, it was thought that was, and many people misattribute the X and XFL to meaning to being ex- extreme. Uh, in reality, Sean, we know that the X stands for what? Extreme failure, Matt. No, well, we're, we're getting to that. We're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> no, on the that. X stands for nothing, Matt. The X stands for nothing. Yes, it Just stands like for nothing league. at all. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, we're, so we're going to follow the XFL through these next six parts, through its ups and its downs. Mostly, its downs. Um, how it how it uh, it launched itself up in the air and then just came crashing, crashing back down again, much like a child when they launch their model rocket and and they forget to use some key components like. Uh, like fuel for their generators or things like that. Matt, this is a hundred percent true story. But <laughs> as a child, I did go to launch a model rocket and I accidentally glued the top shut where it's supposed to separate and the parachute's supposed to come out. And so it exploded on the launch pad. Kind of like the <laughs> XFL. Um, yes, that's a, that's a pretty good metaphor right there. But what I, uh, what I love about the XFL is it is right up my alley of Things people spent a ton of money on and failed miserably. And I love big, defunct failures because it's worth studying what went wrong. Could they have been saved? And Matt, I think by the end of this six-part series, we're going to have a unique look at what worked, what didn't work, and will it work moving forward? Now, not to get too much into the roadmap here tonight, we are going to focus on the backstory because you got to know a little bit going into this. We got to set the stage for you as to what was happening in 2000 when uh, the league was being developed. What brought us to this point, Matt? You mentioned the two key players in the XFL saga: Vince McMahon, Dick Ebersol. Two guys. Now, Matt, are you a fan of wrestling? How much do you know about wrestling? I have to be honest with you, Sean. I I don't know much about wrestling. Okay. I uh, have never watched a wrestling match. I know that there is The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, who I pr- I'm pretty sure doesn't do wrestling anymore. He's a movie star now. Uh, so I don't know why he would still do wrestling. 
And uh, did I say The Undertaker? You did. Matt, All right. Wrestling. Oh, and Hulk Hogan. Right. Hulk Hogan is a wrestler. That's right. That's about it. Hulkamania. That's it. The Iron Sheik. All right. You know what? I've, I've named many. It's probably all the wrestlers, right? There probably aren't any more. Yeah, maybe that. like one more. Vince McMahon himself yeah. was a wrestler originally. Um, okay. You know, the, the, the history of WWF, as it was known at the time, plays a big part into where the XFL came from. Now... Uh, wrestling had obviously been around for a long time. Fun fact, the first televised wrestling event took place in the 50s, if you can believe it, uh, back on the Dumont Television Network when that existed way back. Yeah, um, another great defunct legend. Maybe that'll be a future Up for Debate Presents. <laughs> um, but it really didn't kick into high gear until the 80s when Vince McMahon took over the company from his father. Now, wrestling at this time was very regionalized. And there was sort of an unspoken rule that your little wrestling territory was yours and yours alone, and you didn't cross market to the other territories. There's a great quote here from Vince McMahon I'm going to read from an interview with Sports Illustrated. In the old days, there were wrestling fiefdoms all over the country, each with its own little lord in charge. Each little lord respected the rights of his neighboring little lord. No takeovers or raids were allowed. There were maybe 30 of these tiny kingdoms in the U.S., and if I hadn't bought out my dad, there would still be 30 of them, fragmented and struggling. I, of course, had no allegiance to those little lords. So this was Vince McMahon. He was the one who went ahead and finally started combining and, in many nasty a way, crossing territories, cross-promoting, getting his programming syndicated. Now, you got to remember, Matt, in the 80s, cable television was becoming into its own. The launch of ESPN, the launch of all these extra channels looking for content, partly what helped wrestling exploded, put a lot of money into it. Vince McMahon was the first to take advantage of that, syndicating it nationwide, which had never been done with wrestling before. Okay, so Vince McMahon was kind of like the Charlemagne of of the of the what I mean like he united all the fiefdoms. Well, united might be Middle a ages. kind word. He more he's more the um more the Genghis Khan of wrestling. He just more took over oh. whatever he wanted. Um okay. he took talent from other wrestling companies without asking. He he would kind of force them to 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 un- he'd wait until they were bankrupt and then he'd buy his competitors out. Um and all throughout the 80s, of course, the rise of WrestleMania, pay-per-view was a new concept at the time that he, he really helped pioneer with the WWF. Integrating MTV and music with wrestling was an innovation uh, WWF brought to the stage that culminated in this peak in the 80s, what was known as the golden age of wrestling um, back then. Interesting. Okay. So I yeah that's something I didn't know. Okay, I did I didn't know any of this. I for some reason I just thought that wrestling just kind of appeared out of nowhere and it was uh like just this cultural phenomenon that started in the 80s like hey, let's start let's start wrestling each other and put it on TV and we'll we'll script all of it but we'll never tell anybody. They'll never know. Oh no, wrestling has been around for a long long time, but really give credit to Vince McMahon for taking it big and nationwide. And Matt, interestingly enough, Mm -hmm. in 1985, Vince McMahon teamed up with none other than Dick Ebersol, a man we Uh will talk about a little bit later on, to introduce a TV event on NBC called Saturday Night's Main Event. Now, this is important because this is where these two men are going to first start to work together, become fast friends. It's going to lead right down the road to the XFL. 
Saturday night's main event was a WWF um, television special that would air in place of Saturday Night Live reruns on Saturday night. Now, Saturday Night Live was live most of the year, so they only aired maybe six or eight of these a year, but it was the first time wrestling had been broadcast on network television since the 50s, since the Dumont Television Network. So it really brought wrestling to a huge, huge audience that hadn't previously seen it before if you didn't have cable. Yeah, um... Okay, I, I'm following you so far. The 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 March nine March fourteenth, nineteen eighty seven, uh, show of Saturday Night's main event drew an eleven point six rating, which remains the highest rating any show has ever done in that time slot. Um, in what was a preview of WrestleMania three, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. I know that guy. That's another. That's sorry. That's the wrestler I forgot. I, I didn't. I forgot to mention him. Andre the Giant. He was that. He was the one wrestler I forgot to mention. Otherwise, you nailed it. Like I got all the other ones. Absolutely. Now, obviously, uh, Dick Ebersol working closely with WWE, um, but he, uh, through his production company, Dick Ebersol actually produced Saturday Night's main event through his production company. Interestingly, he left. He sort of left his production company to become president of NBC Sports. Okay. In 1989, sort of leaving Vince McMahon in a way. And it was at this point, wrestling stopped being aired on NBC. Uh, the WWE continued anyway into uh, the new generation of the 90s. Uh, this is where they debuted Monday Night Raw, the, their flagship cable program in 1993, uh, which uh, dominated in the ratings for a long time. They introduced uh, NWO, the New World Order at that time. Um, which continued right into the what is known as the Attitude Era in that in the late '90s when uh, Raw is War and uh, the WWF got nasty. This is when it was sexy and when it was violent and when it was in your face and it was it was they were not taking any prisoners. It was all about the Attitude. This yeah. was also the introduction I, I of good. Vince McMahon's on-screen character. Yeah, that that I found really interesting when I when when we did the research for um for this is that he plays this persona like there's there's Vic, Vince McMahon the businessman slash promoter slash CEO and then there's Vince McMahon the uh the 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 evil villain so he's uh he play he uh. Yeah, he portrays an uh, like a caricature of himself that he invented. It's mm -hmm. very, it's very interesting. It's very Ma Machiavelli, I guess. It is, it is. He he, uh, he is undeniably the face of this business. Yeah. Now it was uh, about this. Uh, it was about the same time, nineteen ninety nine, when WWF returned to. Uh, broadcast television airing a special program known as SmackDown on the fledgling UPN network at the time, uh, becoming a weekly series uh, that August. At this point, wrestling absolutely at its peak. Never been bigger. WWF is the main company. Uh, they went public in 1999, and they acquired their main competition, WCW, uh, world class world world championship wrestling. Um, they purchased them in two thousand and one, and that was it. And then they were they were on top. 
The end. The end. That's right, Matt. That's Flying a wrap. high. Never been bigger. The, the, the number one in wrestling, Vince McMahon, to find the sport. Yeah. Um, but he didn't stop there, did he, Sean? No, he didn't stop there, but, man, he needed some help. Let's talk about another titan of industry. His name, Richard Ebersol, better known as Dick Ebersol. Um, actually, his real name's Duncan. I didn't know Dick could be short That's for awesome. Duncan. I, why did, why wouldn't he just keep that? Why not just keep Duncan? Because I like, think I think I saying it's a cool name. Duncan, I think Duncan's a cool name. It is, but saying Duncan Ebersol is a is a is a mouthful. That's a tongue twister. Well, Sean, whenever I think Duncan, right, I think of two things, and they're both wonderful. Sure, Duncan Donuts. Yeah. Now today, I guess just Duncan. Just Duncan. Uh and the second thing is Duncan Hines. Mm, great Duncans. Delicious, delicious cakes and 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 baked goods from Duncan Hines. Um, that's uh, those, those, those two things. The, I think are great. Yeah, are those, are only, those are the only Duncans. Name. Yeah, yeah, but those are two really. So oh, they're great. Ti- talk about titans of industry, right there. Titans of my heart. <laughs> Why hasn't there been a Duncan Hines Duncan Donuts? collaboration you know what i really don't know that's that's really call worth us. looking into we'll help you call Absolutely. us we'll make it happen yeah they're 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 due i think yeah man a mashup made in heaven absolutely dick ebersol but most yeah, people d- don't know his name dick i think a lot of people know who vince mcmahon is i don't think a lot of people know who dick ebersol is and there's a reason for that it's because he's an executive okay wasn't always an executive came on uh, he studied television, big fan of television all throughout his life. In 1974, he joined NBC as director of weekend late night programming. The next year, he teamed up with Lauren Michaels and conceived a little show you may have heard of called Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Fever? No. Incorrect. Try again. <laughs> Saturday Night Live. Although, oh, as, live. It, as it was okay. known at launch, NBC's Saturday Night. They didn't have the live in there. Um, and that shot him right through the roof. Saturday Night Live, even in his first season, a massive rating success on Saturday night, where previously just crap had lived like uh, like uh, wrestling and things of, of that nature. Um, at 28, he was named vice president of late night programming, the first ever vice president at NBC under the age of 30 where he continued to work for a number of years, uh, a very successful at a young age. He returned to SNL in 1981 as executive producer of the show and was there through 1985. Um, this was a span where Lorne Michaels actually stepped away from the show uh, with a little bit of infighting and controversy. Um, and uh, Dick Ebersol had to step in and um, and take over. Um, that's when Eddie Murphy came on the show right around that time. Um, and hired uh, some established comedians. Billy Crystal, Martin Short were on there for a little while as well until um, until Michaels came back in '85. Okay. Uh, shortly after that, uh, after he uh, after he left SNL, he stuck around for a few more years. Uh, he was vice president, senior vice president of NBC News for a little while. He became president of NBC Sports in 1989 and was chairman of NBC Sports Olympics in 1998. Uh, and Matt, interestingly enough, NBC Sports, okay. NBC in the 80s was a ratings juggernaut. Cosby Show, Cheers, 
huge, huge ratings for N- uh, NBC at this time. They were number one. Wouldn't be number one again until the 90s. But were number one in the 80s. However, they had no real sports properties in the 80s. They had baseball, and they had football. And that was it. And baseball actually went to CBS in uh, the late 80s. So at that point, they only had football. NBC Sports was on its last legs. Dick Ebersol comes in. He brings in the NBA in a four-year deal right at the time Michael Jordan is coming into the league. Basketball never gets bigger than it was at that point. It explodes. NBC is broadcasting it. Big for NBC. Fun fact. Michael Jordan never played in the XFL. No, he should have. He should have. I think he would have. I think he missed his his calling right there. He did. I I mean, he did baseball and he did basketball. He should have done football with the XFL. Yeah. That would have made sense. I think that would have saved the league. Was that the missing piece? I guess we'll never know. In 1994, they add Major League Baseball back to NBC, which was huge. Um, They added uh, the Olympics as well. At one point, fun fact, Matt, um, the uh, NBC was the, is the, to this date, the only uh, channel, the only station to ever air in the same year, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics, and the uh, NBA Finals. All in the same year, 95-96 television season. Would never Fun happen fact. again. Never happen again. And, and, and Well, maybe not. not. Not the way rights are today, split apart. Um, but NBC Sports in the 90s, huge. Never bigger. The problem is, at the end of the 90s, NBC Sports starts to slip. In 1998, CBS and Fox steal the, NB, uh, the NFL rights away from NBC. They no longer air AFC games on NBC. They now go to CBS. Um, they refuse to pay the money. Uh, at the same time, in 2000, NBC declined to renew its broadcast agreement with MLB. No more baseball on, um, on NBC. And in 2002, NBC loses basketball to ESPN and ABC. Suddenly, in the blink of an eye, in a three-year span, NBC doesn't have sports anymore. They just don't. They're all gone. No more sports. Boom. Sad times for the Peacock. Not great in NBC Sports. And the reason I mention this, Matt, this is all important backstory when we get to the, the spot where both WWE and NBC Sports are as we enter 1999-2000. You have got wrestling at its peak. Never been bigger. Vince McMahon cannot be stopped. At the same time, you've got NBC Sports led by Dick Ebersol, a legend in the industry, at this time named the most powerful man in sports television, Looking at a station with no sports. So this is the the low point of the story, right? It doesn't get worse it than this. It only goes up from here, Matt. It only goes up. Okay, good. It only goes up from here. So at this point, good. Dick Ebersol, he's got to think outside the box. Later on in 2003, they get a minority interest in Arena League football that doesn't go anywhere. They try NASCAR for a little while. It wasn't until 2006 they'd get NFL games back, but... Believe it or not, Dick Ebersol actually starts talking to Time Warner, the Turner stations, about creating a football league. This is true. Outside of Vince McMahon, ignore Vince McMahon for for a minute here. Dick Ebersol is having conversations about starting a football league. 
they're mad at the NFL. Because they think the NFL is a monopoly. They think the NFL has a mediocre product, and they and the NFL isn't played year-round like some of these other sports. You know, today, Matt, the NFL is kind of a year-round activity when you include the combine and the draft and preseason and, and, and training camp and all these sorts of activities that go with it. But back in these days, you know, it was maybe August to January, and you had half the year with no football, unlike baseball or hockey that basically plays all year-round. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think what what Vince McMahon was trying to tap into here in this moment, because this is really this is really the inception of of the concept that would go on to become the XFL. And from what I've read and, and researched about this, I have a theory that Vince McMahon, what he intended to do with this concept was appeal to the uh, basically appeal to the, to the populist sentiments, the populist sentiments of, of like middle America and, and, and reach out to them and say, uh, here's, here's, here's this league that you guys are supposedly, you know, fans of, but it, it's, it's become, it's become a, like a like a shell of its former self. It's become a sham. Uh, these players are way overpaid. They're pansies. They don't. They 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 play for these giant contracts, and that's it. And they don't they don't they don't leave it all out on the field. Well, what we're gonna do? What we're gonna show you is that the sport, at its core, has never gone anywhere. But it's the you know the function of the league that's the rules, right? The no fun league that's kind of like dumbed down and and uh, or, or just just kind of made made things you know safe and and not and, and not fun anymore. And we're gonna take all those we're gonna take all those boundaries away and let you guys run with scissors and let you guys you know throw uh, throw giant pillows made of of uh, cement at each other basically. I think that was that was kind of his thinking. Was that his thinking, Sean? I mean, I think, Matt, for me, it's you, you got to remember, uh, between 1999 and 2000, NFL ratings shrink by 9%, and sports overall are down in the ratings. And on Monday nights, WWF Raw's war outperforms Monday night football. I think what Vince McMahon was looking at, uh, frankly, I don't think he, he really was, was about, I don't think he's a particular, I, I don't want to say he's not a tough guy, but I, for me, I don't think it's about, football being tougher for him. I think it's what is an angle that we can exploit that's missing in the sports. Because if you're going to roll out a second football league, there has to be something different. You can't just have the NFL too, because I don't think people will get attracted to that. So you have to have some kind of angle. And I think he realized, you know, I think it's unfair to say the NFL was a wimpy at that. Believe me, if you think the NFL was wimpy at that time, you should see how it is today. I mean, I, I, people were getting plenty injured in football. I don't think, I think that's just an easy thing to say. Oh, the sports are wimpy. Like that's you know, it's kind of like the millennials get trophy participation trophies, like bullshit, where it's just an easy thing to say and get people to yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that football was was weak. I just think it was a product that had been around a long time and hadn't seen any changes. And we'll talk about much later on in this series the changes the XFL imparted on the NFL on how the NFL learned from the XFL. But I think he just saw a product that was old and stale, and the angle he took as a marketer was that, okay, here's an angle people gravitate towards. We'll make it tougher. Easy to grasp. 
Easy to understand. I get that. If you just say, oh, it's more football, that's not as interesting. Yeah. Um, as we'll probably reiterate time and time with this, uh, with this project, that Vince McMahon was a marketer. He was a, he's a, a brilliant marketer. Uh, I think he, he's, he's very much from the old school of marketing with, you know, give the people what they want. Uh, I liken him a lot to, uh, PT Barnum, the, uh, the very famous, uh, uh, carnival operator mm -hmm. and, and, and promoter and marketer. Uh, he's very much from that school of, uh, yeah, give the people what they want. This is, this is what they want. And if it's not what you want, like I'll, I'll show you why this is what you, what you really want, what you need. And I think he, he definitely did that with his product with the, with the, the XFL. Oh, for sure. I mean, we'll, we'll dive more into it next week, but uh, he marketed the hell out of this thing, maybe almost too much, uh, <laughs> for its own good. Um, you know, this, it was very clear what the XFL was going for from day one. Um, and, and it is interesting how to compare and contrast it against the NFL, obviously its main competitor. Now, you know, fun fact, Matt, Vince McMahon's original plan was, believe it or not, to purchase the entire Canadian football league and move it South to America, which is bananas. Yeah. Um, I, I did read about that. I didn't know he was planning to move it, but I did know his plan was to purchase the entire league. And, and actually somebody, someone came up to him and was like, what if you just bought one team? Like maybe start there, maybe, maybe own a team for a few years, like get your feet wet. I think it was when, um, cause he originally, didn't he pitch this idea to a number of, uh, owners, NFL owners? Like he wanted, Oh, he wanted to. He wanted to buy the Minnesota Vikings, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So he, so he set out to purchase the Minnesota Vikings, and the owners, like, laughed at him, la basically laughed him out of the meeting. And that's when he went home. Do I have the chronology right? Then he went home, and, like, that was when he's like, well, I'll buy the entire Canadian Football League, and I'll show them. Yep. I'll buy the whole league, and I'll and – I'll. so it all kind of started with him being made a mockery of. For his idea. Yeah. Well, for, his, for his dream. Now, this might be going way too far, but I, I, when I first learned that, the, the instant connection I made was to the uh, 2000 – and I, I, I just want to – I just feel like I, I need to, to mention this because I think there will be people out there that agree with me. Sure. Uh, I, I felt like this was a good parallel to the 2008 – or 2007 White House Correspondence Dinner, where um, I couldn't have been 2007. I guess it must have been. Yeah, it was probably no. It was probably like the maybe even the 2010. I don't know. It's the one you. There's a very. It's become very infamous, right? It's the one where Barack Obama is making a joke about Donald Trump mm -hmm. about how how. Um, how he will never be president and how he's like basically saying like basically making a mockery out of him mm -hmm. while he's sitting there in the audience and he is not laughing at all at the, at this joke that's being made. And I have a theory that right then and there is when he, the, the gears started to turn and he started to set this plan in motion. Like, well, I'll show them all, 
You know, it's like it's like in those movies where uh, like the character has that I'll show him, I'll show him all moment, and then he goes home and starts plotting and planning and uh, I, and I think that this was Vic, Vin, that that was Donald Trump's I'll show him all moment. I think this is Vince McMahon's I'll show him all moment is when he gets laughed out of the out of the owners meeting of the NFL. Well, it's it's interesting that you bring that up. The parallel I would make is extremely uh, funny, uh, quite related to yours. And I, I'm going to mention the USFL many times throughout this series. Another defunct football league from the 80s played three seasons. Um, uh, back in the 80s, real estate developer Donald Trump wanted to buy into the NFL. The NFL owner said, absolutely not. So what did he do? He bought a team in the USFL with plans to merge it into the NFL to get to get his NFL team. And he drove the USFL right out of business. So um, extremely similar. Vince McMahon wanted to play with the big boys. They said no. He said, fine, I'll just do it myself. Um, and that's how the team, uh, that's, that's how the idea started. Yeah. Um, like I said, at the same time, uh, NBC was looking to create a football league of their own with Time Warner. Uh, interestingly enough, when the XFL was announced on February 3rd, 2000 at the WWF restaurant in Times Square, which I find is a nice little, uh, note there, uh, they didn't have a TV partner. They had no partner. They had nothing. They literally just said, we're going to do it one year from today on February 3rd, 2001, we're going to kick off with an entire eight teams, an entire football league. Can't tell you anything about it. Don't know where you're going to be able to watch it. Don't know what the teams are, who the coaches are, the players are, where the teams are located. We don't have any stadiums. We don't have don't have anything. We just have an idea. And that great red and black football. Yeah. That Spalding red and black iconic XFL ball. And that great logo with the big X. <laughs> big yeah. The uh the now were the dimensions of the ball. Uh, different from that of a normal football? <laughs> you know, that's a really good question, and I tried to look it up, but I could not find uh, an answer. Um, I, I don't think so. I want to say that it's, that it's exactly the same as a regulation football. Because, what, I mean, if if anything, it'd probably be, it would probably be bigger, I would assume. Yeah, you know what? Just purely going off of Vince McMahon's psyche... I'm going to say that it was definitely bigger than the NFL ball. Uh, I'm reading an article. More inflated with hot air, if you know what I mean. Or inflated with more hot air. Uh, literally, I'm reading an article all about the ball. And in here, it keeps saying about how the ball is special because it's black and red. But nowhere in here does it say it's any different. Yeah. I, I don't know if that would have been something that was really important to them. I mean, there were a lot of things that they probably should have should have done that weren't done. So maybe this is just another oversight. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like something as simple as naming the, your your championship game was a <laughs> was an oversight that they never really put any thought into so maybe maybe the size and dimensions of the ball were, were kind of like that i will say that the uh, the black paint uh the black paint yeah. on the ball um when the ball even got slightly wet it would start rubbing off and make the balls extremely slippery and nearly impossible to catch or throw effectively that's why in the first couple of weeks you saw so many fumbles in the rain um they actually had to sandpaper the entire ball um 
to uh, to make sure it wouldn't slip out of people's hands. Hmm. That's a that's a fun fact. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. It's an iconic look. I think they should have just greased the ball. They should have before every game. They should should have just dipped it in grease uh, and 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 like butter, made it slipperier slipperier. A little, a little more that would have made the uh, that opening scramble a lot more interesting. Yeah, made it a little more like a, a little more rugby esque, where you got a little bit a lot more of the passing and the ball kind of moving all over the place. Yeah, could be interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, you know they announced the league. Uh, WWE Entertainment uh, announces the league. And uh, right after the announcement, Vince McMahon gets a phone call from his old pal Dick Ebersol at NBC and says, Buddy, we want to televise your games. And they enter into a 50-50 joint venture between NBC and WWE. They each own 50% of the league. They each put up $50 million. Total of $100 million, the plan to televise the uh, primary games on NBC um, secondary games on both uh, UPN and uh, the cable station that's now Paramount Network was before Spike TV and before that TNN, when it was TNN, um, televising three games each week nationally across those three channels. Should I have been more surprised about he- when I when that news was announced? Uh, like, should I have been... I mean, I, I I feel like I should have that that should elicit that should have elicited like much super like a major network, a major network is signing on for this plan. Oh, it was a big it's deal. Kind of, it's kind of half baked, like not not well thought out through at all. Plan, and and obviously the the first alarm bells that I think rang were that um they wanted to start right away. They wanted to start like that that year, mm-hmm. which which meant that the players only had a very small amount of time. I think a handful of of, uh, of months, really, a couple months to to practice and gel and you know start gelling with each other as teammates, getting to know each other, very like oh, a month or two, and then they would be starting the season. Yeah, I mean, definitely not well thought out. Like I said, they announced it with no plans whatsoever. Um, mm. They 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 barely had teams six months before kickoff. Um, it wasn't well thought out at all. No, no no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm starting to think that maybe this isn't such a good idea, Sean. <laughs> but you know, I mean, credit where credits due. There's a great. Um, we should mention. I forgot. We were supposed to mention this off the top, and we didn't. Shame on me. Most of the research we're doing for this series is based off of a book called Long Bomb by Brett Forrest. It's a great read. I recommend everyone go check it out. It's on Amazon. You got to get a used copy. It's out of print, but that's okay. Do it. It's a great read. I'm going to be reading select, you know, little quotes from the book as we go through these. But, you know, it mentions here, and this was, I was talking about this a little bit earlier, NBC, big ratings juggernaut in the 80s, again, Big hits in the 90s with Seinfeld and Friends. The problem is by 2000, they were on the downslide. They were no longer popular. At that time, Survivor was the most popular show on television. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was on top. NBC was lagging heavily in the ratings. And there's a great line in the book here, quote, What did NBC have to lose? If McMahon's XFL worked and worked big, it could deflect Survivor and maintain NBC's place in the weekly ratings battle. And I think that's a fair point. 
I think, M- you know, you got to remember, NBC, really, all, NBC doesn't have a ton, really the only thing NBC has to lose, and, and Bob Costas is a very funny piece of this story and as to how strongly he fights for the NBC name, all NBC has to lose is their reputation. Financially, $50 million isn't going to make or break them. Um, their ratings aren't necessarily going to get worse, and they're putting them on a Saturday night where there's no competition uh, on NBC. They were airing just junk there before, so why not try something? So, you know, when you've got nothing, you've got to try something. Fair enough. Fair enough. Also, you mentioned before they were in the scramble to to get back into the sports business. They had lost uh, the NFL. They had lost the baseball, uh, basketball, baseball, they everything. Lost everything. Yeah. You know, and imagine if the XFL had been a success. I mean, we would have hailed him as a genius. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where. On, on paper, this is a really intriguing idea. Uh, the only issue is you got to put your faith in Vince McMahon and, and World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, so how did that work for them, Sean? <laughs> Man, we can't <laughs> give away the ending just yet. Uh, we still got a little ways to go. But um, but yeah, I think uh, I think there's there's going to be a lot to talk about with the XFL moving forward. Um, at this point, we're up to the point, February 3rd, 2000, the league is announced February 3rd, 2001, the league kicks off. They spend that year coming up with all of the, all of this inf- uh, what it takes to launch a league. Now the NF- uh, the XFL is a little bit different, Matt, uh, in structure because it's known as a single entity league. It's not a franchise model. In the NFL, each team is owned by an individual owners and in the XFL, they own all eight teams. And so it's a little bit easier to set up in that respect, in that they they completely own all of the teams. Yeah. Which I think helped them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that uh owning all owning all the teams it, it it's it's a good it's a good approach, I think. It's it definitely solidified their name early on. Yeah. Yep. So, um, Matt, as you mentioned, this league announced its main theme, because I want to talk a little bit about the sort of promotion of the league a little bit uh, as we near the end of this episode. But this league, as you mentioned, the extra fun league, Smash Mouth Football, this is not your daddy's football, none of that pansy NFL stuff. We're tough, we're rumble. You saw the uh, commercials. Um, I know we've both looked on YouTube, seen those commercials where they show the guys tackling a Mack truck and you see the, the wrecking ball coming in and hitting a guy. And I mean, boom, bombs are going off. I mean, this is, this is wrestling style production of a football league saying football has never been tougher in the XFL. Right. This, this was, this was so, so overmarketed, but uh, I guess it had to. I mean, I, I think you had people that were going to tune in for out of curiosity anyway. And they left just enough mystery for you to wonder, you know, how is this different from the NFL? Um, they 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 kind of hinted a little bit. They teased the, some of the rule changes right in the commercials. No fair catch. Uh, no. Uh, it was like the quarterback is no longer safe or yeah, something pay, like paid that. Yeah, paid to play, paid more to win, things like paid that. Paid more to win. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they teased a lot of the rule changes early on. How, how do you think this affected um, 
viewership? Do you think that this kind of marketing, this kind of advertising, did it bring more people to the table, uh, or would it wouldn't would it have been the same either way? I mean, look, you got to remember, if you're in the marketing department at NBC, right, you've got two issues. One, the league doesn't exist. You don't have footage of any of the teams. You don't even have the names of the teams. You don't have the names of the players. You don't have the names of the coaches. You barely know the cities they're playing in. So it's not like the NFL. You can't, what are you marketing? You have. You literally are starting from ground zero. You've got nothing, right? So that's problem number one. Problem number two is your goal is not to get people to watch for 16 consecutive weeks. Your goal is to get people to tune in for kickoff of that first game. So whatever you have to say, to say on February 3rd at 8 p.m., have your ass tuned to NBC, you're going to say it. And that's what they did. They sold you on that game. They never said anything about what this league was going to be like. They never said anything about what to expect weeks from now. They said, it's new football. You got to tune in and check it out coming February. That was the whole thing. XFL, new, coming February. They succeeded. They wildly succeeded. They did their jobs as marketers. The the problem, not to get too much into the, the analysis part of this, but the issue for me, partly, you're right, Matt, is that they oversold on the sort of violent, aggressive aspect of it. When you actually look at the XFL rules, yes, there are those tweaks, um, you know, the scramble and sort of things like that. Um, mostly the rules are the same. It's football. You you can't you can't radically change it that much or everyone's gonna get hurt all the time. You know? That's it you just can't. The other issue, though, is that they just weren't very good at football. That was the problem. As you mentioned, there was no preseason. There was no, uh, there were two exhibition games. So four of the teams literally had zero games before the first week. They had a month of practice. Many of these people hadn't played football in a year or more. Yeah. And so to expect them to come out and play excellent football is moronic. And the, and the XFL would the, the XFL people would even agree and say they just didn't have enough time to get these players ready. Right. Um, and we kind of see that that play out. We see that the consequences of that decision play out at least later later in the later in the book, later in the story. Uh, I I saw it as like these players kind of. It was a mutual agreement, right, between them and the XFL. The the players were trying to catch the eye of any NFL scouts that might have been uh, tuning into XFL games, which I'm sure they were, scouting for talent. Uh, so they saw the XFL as a stepping stone, uh, a way to keep, to, to keep their skills sharp. And rather than take a menial job somewhere else that's unrelated to football, mm-hmm. they get to still practice their career while making a modest wage. Um they get to kind of hone their skills for the day that the NFL does give them the big call up. But at the same time, they never really developed a strong loyalty to the N- to the XFL. I think that there's a part in the book that is it's kind of um, shadowing the quarterback of the uh, Las Vegas the Las Vegas um, uh, outlaws outlaws. Thank thank you. Um, and, uh, it kind of going, it kind of goes through his entire season and, and I, I won't give away the, the, uh, the ending just yet, but it, it does seem like, um, he kind of loses his loyalty or never really, never really cultivates a loyalty for the XFL or for his team, right? They mention explicitly in the book and I don't, I, I don't have the book in front of me, but there's a, there is a mentioning of, 
uh, how Vince McMahon was able to sell the logo, but he never really was able to sell the brand or mm. something like that. Yep. Like that, that, that the reason that, that fans and players alike are attached to a team um, has more to do with the intrinsic, the intrinsic um, nature of the team, not the logo or not the brand itself. Like, you know, uh, fans are going to buy jerseys and hats of the team that they really like um, because it's their team and it's because it's the team that they root for. It's the team they identify with. That's yep. the word that I'm kind of searching for is that they're, this identity. And what was the XFL's identity? Well, at surface level, it was tough. It was – its exterior was 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 hard. It was, uh, it was supposed to be the – the rough and tumble older brother of, of, of the, of the NFL or something like that. Um, but in reality, it really didn't have much of, it didn't really have any substance to it. And that was, that was part of its, part of its issue early on. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. And this is again, a great USFL parallel because the USFL really focused on getting their communities interested in football. They put these teams in places where there either hadn't been football or the NFL team wasn't very good. And they spent a ton of time on the in-stadium experience and connecting with their fans. There are so many great stories out of the USFL. I love this one out of the Boston Breakers, which was that uh, for a couple games, they handed everyone coming in uh, in a certain section a card that was green on one side and red on the other. And every so often throughout the game, the announcer would announce for a certain play, everyone in the crowd would hold up their card, either green for pass or red for run. And the coach would look up and whatever the fans chose was the play he ran on the field. <laughs> and this is true. And they do it throughout the game. It's a crazy idea. The coach loved it. The fans loved it. The players loved it because you were doing something different and interesting that was getting people involved and excited. And there are a ton of stories like this from the USFL because that's what they focused on. The XFL really focused on national. They really focused on being big. They focused, it was all about the national game of the week. It was never about these communities. God forbid they weren't televised. I doubt anyone gave a shit. It wasn't about how many people were, you'll notice when you read about the USFL, they love to talk about in-stadium attendance. That's their favorite stat to talk about. Throughout the story of the USFL, you always hear in-stadium attendance. For the XFL, it's all about the TV ratings. It's all about the ratings number, the NBC ratings number, because they didn't care about how many people were in the stands. It wasn't about that. And to me, that's a bummer, and that's a disappointment, because if you don't make your right, that's how you get longevity in these leagues, especially for a new league, is to connect with the fans. Now, didn't, didn't that all kind of change... To be, it, it became more of a TV-centric sport, if, if if I remember correctly, in the in the early '60s, right when they introduced Monday Night Football. Sure. Oh, absolutely, um, Monday Night Football, and then the rise of cable. I mean, the USFL was uh, on ESPN, was on ABC and ESPN at the time, and this was when ESPN was pretty new. Um, it was sort of just the expansion of television bandwidth that allowed sports to be uh, more nationally televised. Yeah, they uh, they wanted. I mean, it, it said uh, in the book that uh it was like no matter the you know it was like we'll, we'll always have fans that'll come to the game the adjustments we made were more for the fat slob at home or something like that like the one who who watches the watches the, like religiously watches every week from his couch 
no matter what, we'll still draw, you know, people will come to the games every once in a while, but the real, the real target for the XFL was the people staying at home, watching the game uh, from their couch. They wanted to develop a real serious loyalty uh, at home on the, watching it on TV. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and that's, that's really the, that's, and here we've kind of reached the kind of the impetus of the, of the XFL. This was their market strategy from this point on to, 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 um, make adjustments to benefit the watcher at home and basically to give them advantages that even the, the fans in the stands wouldn't be able to have, right? Like, for example, the um, microphoning the coaches, yeah, microphoning the players, my, you know, constant reporter interviews sure. on the sidelines after yeah. every play, um, interviews with the cheerleaders. Well, I think, uh, you know, credit where credit's Sky due. Skycam, Bubba the, Cam. The XFL was trying to be different. I mean, credit where credit's due. They could have just gone out and put out the same football product the NFL was doing. They were trying to be different. They gave it a shot. I'm not going to fault them for that. They did not put out the same as football. Now, was it for me? And I agree with you, Matt. The difference wasn't whether or not it was smash mouth football because it debatably was it, wasn't it? You know, I don't know. But I do think you're right. In certain aspects, they were revolutionary. And I think in certain aspects, they did do things differently. Um, But again, it just circles back to me. The stats we were talking about earlier. At this time, people were not watching sports as much. We're talking about the rise of reality television. We're talking about the expansion of cable and the rise of the internet. And... It was just a low point for sports. And so you can look at the XFL in one of two ways, right? You're half glass, half empty, glass, half full of, well, the XFL is going to come in and save sports or the XFL is going to end up like the rest of sports and nobody's going to watch it, right? Why why aren't people watching sports? Is it because sports are boring and the XFL will fix it? Or are people not watching sports because they just don't give a shit about sports, whether it's the XFL or not? And that that's sort of the, the, the space the XFL slots into here in the year 2001 is a really tumultuous time in television and in sports. And you've got Vince McMahon with a great track record and Dick Ebersole with a great track record. Two guys coming in and trying something new. Matt, what happens next? Folks will have to tune in next week to find out because we're out of time for this episode. Um, But I will say, if you've managed to get through the entire hour and you're thinking to yourself, but guys, I don't know anything about the XFL. Who are these teams? Who are these players? You keep talking about these rule differences and Bubba Cam and all this stuff. Come back next week. In part two, we're going to go in-depth into what exactly was the XFL, how did it work, what made it different, some of our uh, favorite sort of weird things the XFL did uh, that no one else did, um, and and how the league got up and running. I think it's going to be a fun in-depth, um, a fun in-depth episode. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about our favorite teams Oh, for sure. Our favorite players, our favorite (laughs) Favorite coaches. Yeah. uh, And uh, it should be good. I look forward to it. It's going to be a great one. Uh, I do recommend that uh, everyone go to our website and subscribe. Make sure you get the next edition as soon as it's available uh, at UpForDebate.tv. You can get the show wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, uh, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts. We're now on Spotify. Check us out there. And the video version on YouTube as well. I did up a new graphics package for our little XFL adventure. It's all black now, which is, you know, very XFL. The only thing I'm missing is those big, is like the big motion graphics with like the tunk, tunk, XFL. 
We should have filmed a commercial. We should have filmed a commercial of the two of us like standing in front of a of a uh, wrecking ball or something. And, and well, it's like that. Uh, it's like that Vince McMahon uh, commercial, or not Vince McMahon. I'm sorry, the uh, Jesse Ventura commercial they shot at the time, where it's just him talking about you know in the XFL, uh, the players they don't play for the money, they play for their love of the game. <laughs> The defense plays defense, and the offense plays offense. And <laughs> you know, in the XFL, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we need we, we need to shoot one of those. I agree. Um, I also want to quickly mention, of course, you can follow us at Up for Debate TV on Twitter and email us Up for Debate TV at gmail.com. If you've got thoughts on the XFL series, let us know. We want to hear. If you're maybe let us know if you were a big fan of the XFL back in uh, 2001 when it was around. Uh, who was your favorite team? Tell us a, a favorite XFL memory. We'd love to share it on the show. Um. But that's going to do it for this week. So, uh, Matt, any any last thoughts? Yeah, uh, just to piggyback on what you were saying, if, if you let us know if you were a fan, let us know if you have any XFL merch that you uh, you're proud of. Uh, I'll, I'll make a deal. The first mm-hmm. person to send us a picture of them w- wearing or with their XFL merch, they'll get some up for debate merch. We'll send you an up for debate T-shirt. How about that? First person to either tweet at us or email us. Oh, there um, you go. We we want to see your XFL love. Good incentive, yeah. Your your Tommy Maddox jersey or your uh of course your he hate me jersey. That's probably the most common one out there. I have to imagine that was the best seller. Yeah, probably I would probably think so. He hate me. Um yeah, you could use the hashtag bring back the XFL uh if you want to uh if you want to be topical. Yeah. Right. There's, there's kind of some buzz, which we were going to touch on um, maybe in a later episode, hopefully. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. We've got, we've got Matt, we've got so much to talk about. I don't even know if six hours can contain it, but Lord knows we're going to try. Indeed. It's going to be fun, but thanks everybody out there for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did on behalf of Matt. I'm Sean. What a pleasure it's been. Hopefully we'll see you next time for more XFL on Chapter 2 on Up for Debate. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.